0: Cycle touring, I think is the perfect slow travel. Like you said, I mean, hiking is amazing. And I love hiking because you see so much more because you're going through a landscape so much slower, but it's not fast. So if you've got a week's holiday and you're hiking, you're seeing a really small space in that week time. Cycle touring, your distances expand to your fitness level and your terrain to some degree. But most people, you know, if you and for a holiday purpose, you can be spending, you know, five hours of riding a day, covering whatever distance your fitness can allow you to cover. But the environment, you're watching that landscape change as you pedal, you're still hearing everything around you, you're smelling, you're visually seeing the landscape and the architecture and the things change as well. So you get this amazing immersive sensory experience on the bike.
1: Welcome to the Blue Rose podcast, where the focus is moving towards things that feel good. Every week, we explore different topics in outdoors, travel, balance, wellness, with the common theme of following your passions. Join me, your host, as I share stories from all over the world. This podcast is all about embracing new experiences and turning the ordinary into the extraordinary. a little bit of some of your podcasts and I am just so intrigued by the life honestly that you've built for yourself
0: still building I reckon is probably more accurate it, it's funny because like we we moved from Australia over three years ago now mm-hmm. uh, but I still feel like I am really fresh-legged here in, where we where we're based now in the Pyrenees in France and, and that's basically because you know the first. Year and a half of that was sort of like treading water during the pandemic, um so yeah, I feel like things are starting to settle and take traction now, especially with our business and things like that as well. But yeah, it's been it's been an interesting three and a half year journey to sort of get to this point just now, if that makes sense. Whereas I feel like where I am now, when we left Australia, my initial feel was that we should be where we are now probably six months after the fact not three and a half years so it's it's been a real interesting time and I guess things have been born out of that and you know it's probably changed and shaped me as a person as well um you know dealing with all the unexpected and stuff like that as well so yeah
1: yeah but I mean I guess that's part of the journey right like there is no there is no finish line and I guess if you were going to achieve all your goals tomorrow what would you do after that you know it's always oh my goodness yes uphill battle of you think something's going to take like three days but it takes like a year so
0: oh most certainly (laughs) it's funny because like there's certain anecdotes where that just resonates really completely with me like and there's things that have happened that were not even you know you don't know what you don't know but there were things that we're doing that we had never conceived of doing so for example the house that we've purchased it's 300 years old um and I call it a house but it was never actually lived in as a house it was always run as a store so it's like a complete blank canvas and we're both pretty much DIY renovating the place so apart from you know getting a professional in to do all the wiring and a professional to do all the plumbing like literally when we moved in here there was no lights there was no bathroom there's no toilet there was nothing so it's like building everything from scratch Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: often when you have a project especially from a do-it-yourself type of project and I think back to stuff that we used to do back in Australia you'd sort of think oh yeah that'll take an hour to do and then two days later it's done and I used to have this saying that whatever I thought would take an hour would take at least a day Mm -hmm. whatever I thought would take a weekend would take a month so with this DIY house project If I'm thinking, oh, two years, I'm thinking, oh, we're renovating for life, aren't we? So
1: anyway. Okay, so you had no intentions of renovating a house. I mean, Australia, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys are very, a DYI culture. And when I think of people in Australia, I always think of like, yeah, we're just doing everything ourselves, but... Possibly, like, it's... um...
0: I guess I've grown up in a household that's done that, and and okay. I guess potentially my husband has a little bit as well. I mean, his family's from Northern Ireland originally, so doesn't have that long. And and my family's like Greek Italian, so oh, <laughs> like true like true Aussies. We're a multicultural mix straight off the bat. Yeah,
1: but
0: yeah, I guess I guess like just even just thinking and reflecting on my own circle of Australian friends. Yeah, there would be a fair chunk of us that have done DIY projects, not necessarily house projects, but mini projects and stuff like that. And, you know, like when we lived in Australia, we had a big garden and we did a big do-it-yourself sort of outdoor kitchen sort of project. (laughs) We built like a big deck. We, We built like a big wood fire oven and, you know, all those sort of things. So, you know, and I guess that that's probably true. I've never thought of it though. So it's interesting hearing that American's perspective of Australian culture. I mean, the funny thing here is I'm moving into like, we are in a tiny French village, like quintessential French village, right? Like the church bells ring every hour from seven in the morning until 10 at night sort of thing. And, you know, I, if I walk out of my front door, I literally have to look left and right because I will step onto the road. Like the house is the right on the road. Um, Our walls are like 90 centimetres thick. Sorry, that's about 30 inches if I've got yeah, right name. we don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly but you know really thick walls I mean it's a 300 year old house there aren't buildings in Australia that are 300 years old to to give you a perspective of of how ancient or ancien as we would say in French that would be but all our neighbors have embraced us in this small village of like 150 people but everyone always wishes us bon courage or bon chance which is like you know courage and good luck I think I think they're thinking, what have these people done? But there's also an appreciation of actually, you know, this young couple that's come to the village, it's actually making something livable again and actually breathing life back into the village. And it, it was quite touching and charming. We've had a few of our neighbours actually when we first moved in just knock on our door and say, hey, we've got this lovely furniture we'd like to donate to you and to, you know. And it's stuff that's, you know, been in this village for literally generations, like, you know, one of our neighbours gave us this beautiful old solid oak sideboard that's their great-grandmother's. And, you know, they give it to us with this happiness that now it has a new life, you know, and it's quite cool. But yeah. all of this is stuff that never existed in my mind when we left Australia. And interestingly, we just recently came back from an unexpected trip back home um just with some health issues in, in our family that we had to come back for and coming back to france after having a month with all the mod cons and modern housing and all that sort of stuff and turning the keys and walking back into the ancient renovation project it was quite funny um but yeah every day is a new learning opportunity that is for sure
1: Mm -hmm. and did you know french before you decided to move to france
0: Well, before deciding to move to France, and I guess part of wanting to move to France is we had, so cycling is a major, major passion of mine, and obviously the business is cycling and that's sort of that focus. And so our first trip to France was in 2013 on what we deemed to be the bucket list holiday. Like that was where we would ride and be in these places we'd seen on our TV screens as, you know, fans watching the Tour de France where we were into the cycling and the racing scene a bit. But to be honest with you, it was the scenery that captivated us. And we lived in a part of Australia called the Snowy Mountains, which is all mountainous and stuff as well. So it naturally coming to areas of the Pyrenees, where I say there are real mountains, Mm -hmm. it really like it was like a strike to the heart. And so because we had had that initial trip in 2013, which we fell in love with, and then saved our money and just made it somehow possible and and bought extra purchased annual leave and stuff from our jobs and made it possible to return back a number of times. Learning French needed to be part of that. But I would say we learnt French in those early years of coming here as tourists, as in you learn how do I go to a bakery and you know get the cliche baguette croissant, how do I sit at a restaurant or you know and order a glass of wine or order food off the menu. How do I go to a hotel receptionist and say, you know, bonjour j'ai une réservation pour, you know, deux yeah. personnes and you know, or you know, how to reservations and stuff for you know a night of accommodation. So we could speak tourist French, but speaking daily French is very different to that. And there's also, so I I say, I'm on a lifelong journey of French language learning. Mm -hmm. And it is such a complicating language to learn when you haven't grown up speaking it. And obviously, I would speak, I I, I try my hardest. And my beautiful neighbours continually tell me that my French is amazing. But I know that they're being nice. And (laughs) It's one of those things with French people, they will correct you if you use the wrong word Mm -hmm. and they don't do it as a means of like saying, oh, how stupid you are, you use the wrong word. They do it from a place of wanting to help you and they think it's helpful. In Australia, if I was to speak to a French person and they said the wrong word in English, but I knew what they meant, I would just let them go with it and I wouldn't let them know because I, I would feel it would be rude. But in France, it's not the way at all. And so often I'll say, oh, my gosh, you know, the French language is so complicated for me and stuff. And then they'll respond and say, oh, yes, it is. And it's really complicated for us too. And there's like this funny sense of pride that they have with the difficulty of their own language. So, mm-hmm. um, But, yeah, it is, it's a total different experience. And there's things that you don't realise are going to be potentially problematic until that happens. So, for example, you know, I quite regularly, you know, I'm I'm quite apt and able in my English speaking world and certainly in Australia. And even when we lived in Ireland and I've lived in London before, so I've lived overseas in a few countries, my phone rings, I've got no problem answering it. Someone leaves a voicemail message, I've got no problem listening to it. Fast forward to France, when a French artisan, so like a tradesperson rings, I'm like, oh my gosh, my phone is ringing. (laughs) If they leave me a voicemail, oh my goodness, it is like, so comedic and how many times I need to listen to it before I have an understanding of a, who it was and what they were saying. Because when you speak to someone face to face and they know that you're learning the language, they do slow down the speed that they're talking with and they probably use basic words and and they, they come to your level a little bit, but when they don't know, it's like, Oh yeah. And Mm -hmm. there is no pause button on voicemail so you can't sort of and there's no you know you know how you could play a podcast or music at fast speed yeah. you can't do that on a voicemail message so the amount of times it was quite comedic the very first time my husband and I we got a voicemail message the amount of times both us was like do you think they said this word no hang on and I must have played this message like uh, If I said 30 or 40 times, it's not an exaggeration. And I tried all the tricks. I tried like playing it into like Google Translate, trying to record the message and put it onto my PC to translate into something. And eventually you sort of pick up the odd word, which gives you an idea of, oh, it's actually not for me. It's for someone else. (laughs) So it's quite amusing. But that's a journey that you don't even know you've signed up for. Like you don't even think that that stuff exists Mm -hmm. because in your home country, it doesn't exist for you. You're really confident. You're an adult. You know how to answer the phone. You know how to speak to someone, but you know, I'll go next door to my lovely neighbor. Who's like 82 years old and have a cup of tea with her. I'll come back two hours later, feeling like I've just sat the most extensive university exam of my life and feel brain dead because I still think in English. So when Mm -hmm. I hear French, I have to translate it in my head. What did I hear? Translate it in English. Then I have to do another translation of what I understood, and how am I responding in the French that I know into French and speak it back? And like doing that for a few hours, it is intense. So I don't know. Like, yeah. have you learned another language before? Have you been yeah. through this experience?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I, so I lived in Madrid for a year. Um, I was. Teaching oh wow! Madrid. Awesome. So yeah. I I experienced that on a daily basis because the kids that I worked with didn't speak good English at all. So I would just stand at the, the front of the classroom. There's like 50 kids just talking and I'm like trying to understand what they're trying to say. And then it's, you know, they're not very good at English, but I'm not very good at Spanish. And so it's this back and forth of what can, what words can we say? So we at least like remotely understand each other and I wasn't really allowed to speak Spanish. So it was really hard for me to learn Spanish because I was just like, I can hear Spanish and I can understand what people are saying now because I spent a year listening to children speak. But if I have to speak back, it's really difficult for me. So
0: I'm, I must say just anecdotally what you've said there, a few people have told me that something that will help accelerate my French language learning will actually be watching children's TV shows in French and mm-hmm. reading children's books and when I say children's books I'm not talking about you know nine or ten year old children I'm talking like yep. you know four or five six year old children <laughs> and doing the baby steps because that's where they're learning their language as well and so it's oh how sadly is it at my level like there are times where I have to pull myself up because the the journey of where I am at the moment and the last three years it it, it has felt often like I've been cycling uphill all the time, if that makes sense to use a metaphor. And there's times where I have to pull myself up where I go, wow, I just had a conversation with my neighbor about the water, the stream that's running through our backyard. I would never have even known how to do that a year ago. And now I can happily do it. And so sometimes you don't really see the progression you've made when you feel like you're doing a daily struggle, but there is (laughs) small steps. Um, Spanish is a... Spanish is a fastly spoken language, at least to my ear anyway. Is that the case?
1: I, so I, my, one of my best friends was from Argentina. And so he would take me to the library every week and he would make me sit down and read children's books, like not force me, but he was like, you need to do this. Um, and I would like translate it to him. So he was really helpful because he spoke very slowly with me, but I had, I lived with a girl from Argentina and I lived with a gal from France. And so the gal from France was also fluent in Spanish. And then, but she was trying to get better at English. And then I'm trying to learn Spanish. And then my Argentinian roommate is trying to learn French. So we're just like at this table trying to communicate. And they they do speak very fast. But it's my understanding that they also think we speak very fast. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, oftentimes they're like, what did you just say? Because I would speak English to my American friend. And they would just sit there and be like, what just yeah. happened <laughs> yeah, so I, think, exactly. I think everyone speaks fast when you're speaking in your own language but it is difficult to decipher like south american spanish european spanish mm. they're very different
0: yeah, and see, the other thing that we have for us here, because we're in the Pyrenees, and for those of you listeners that aren't aware, that's the southwest of France, so, mm-hmm. you know, right on the border with Spain. And the dialect, or the, or the they have a different French accent to, say, Parisian French. Mm-hmm. And so because we're living here and we're learning from our neighbours, we're obviously learning with that southern dialect. And, it, you know, there's a bit more of a pronunciation of the endings of the words, but then... If you're learning, you know, if I'm learning, like you know, on an on an app, it's teaching me Parisian French, and so then when I hear how people here are saying things, I think they're saying different words to what I've learnt sometimes because it's just a little bit different. So it's yeah, anyway, look, it's it's a lifelong journey of language learning. Apparently, yeah. it's meant to be good for my grey
1: matter though, right? <laughs> I think it is. Um, Before we get too far into this, why don't you introduce yourself? Because I never had you do that.
0: Okay. Uh, So my name is Bella Malloy. I am, as you can tell from my accent, I am from Australia originally. But uh, in 2020, my husband and I made the big move where we totally shifted away from our office-based corporate careers to pursue a life more with more purpose and more meaning, I guess, by following our passion for for riding bikes and for cycling. And so we moved overseas. Now, our destination is where we are now in the French Pyrenees. But I guess when we left in February 2020, we were on what we deemed to be a stepping stone journey. And that stepping stone initially was to Ireland. My husband's Mother and father are originally Irish and from Ireland, so he had citizenship in Ireland, which means he has a European citizenship and European passport. And so we thought it would be a good idea, given we're moving so dramatically overseas, changing careers to maybe have a stepped change, and it was a stepping stone to move to Ireland, to set ourselves up in Europe, get European bank accounts, understand how things work over here, Whilst we would then make our way over to France, look for a house to buy, figure out how we were going to settle and then set up our business, which was travel based. And I say, but because obviously within literally a matter of weeks of arriving in Ireland and I remember I literally just gotten my appointment for my Irish visa, I think a couple of days later lockdowns happened and COVID happened and the world shut down and travel shut down and we had just left our home internationally signed you know signed up for life overseas to start a travel business and that was all on hold initially we and I often think if I had a crystal ball to look back on and and look to the future before we set sights on that plane and left Australian shores, would we have made the move knowing what was going to happen? And it's interesting because I think psychologically I probably would have said no and I would have chosen the safety net of knowing what life would have been like. But three and a half years of going down that path later and going on this journey we are now in our home we are in the Pyrenees things feel like they're gaining traction now and whilst we've probably drawn on our savings more than we had wished to do I feel like the way is forward now so yeah so it's a long-winded way to say my name is Bella I'm Australian (laughs) I live in France and I run a cycling business
1: (laughs) so you said that you had this plan to open this business before you left and oftentimes you know like you leave, you go to another country, maybe you don't have an idea of what you want to be doing, but you knew that cycling was what you wanted to do. So how did you kind of get from like, I love cycling, I'm living in Australia, and now we're going to move and open this business. Like where did that love of cycling begin and kind of like where did this idea for a business come in?
0: Yeah, great question. So I, I like many, many people as a child, learn how to ride a bike mm-hmm. and maybe not like many people just absolutely fell in love with it. For me, it was an escape machine, a freedom machine. <laughs> my mum used to like restrict me to only riding my bike on in Australia, what we call the French nature strip, which was like, you know, the the, the strip of green grass directly mm-hmm. in front of your house, which FYI, if you're on a bike is really hard and slow to pedal on. Yeah. But you know, when they weren't looking I would take off on my bike and have these amazing adventures. And whether that was laps of our suburban street or maybe being a little bit naughty as a young child and going a bit further afield, that was always part of my life. But like most Australians, I stopped riding a bike when I was a teenager and then learned how to drive a car and then didn't drive a bike for a while. Uh, I met my husband. He was just into mountain biking, and I thought, "Oh wow, I really like mountain biking. Maybe I could. I use. To- I mean, I really like cycling. Maybe I could give this a go." Bought a bike again and rediscovered that passion that I had for cycling as an adult. And I guess if you like riding bikes and you're perhaps slightly interested into cycling as an Australian, you would watch the Tour de France each year, and you would see these scenes of amazing French countryside vistas whilst you're watching the sport and as a cyclist you have a bit more of an appreciation of exactly the athletic abilities of these athletes as they're going through these amazing scenes and my husband and I had agreed it would be an amazing holiday to take now Australia is on the other side of the world literally to France Mm -hmm. like diagonally you draw a line you are literally the other side of the world hemispheres and everything Mm -hmm. and so to get over there was not, uh, uh, you know, it was a significant undertaking in itself to to be able to get enough time off work to make a long haul flight like that worthwhile, and to also ride bikes there. And we did that in 2013, and we followed the Tour de France around. We did not ride the course of the Tour de France, of course, because we're not athletes, but we did base ourselves in different areas of France and rode these amazing, famous climbs which would slaughter anything of equivalence in Australia. Like we just did not have that scenery and that type of terrain there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we spent six days of that first trip in the Pyrenees and both of us fell in love with it. And I remember we were waiting for our flight at Charles de Gaulle airport to take us back to Australia. And we were both like, how are we coming back here again? We have to come back here again. We can't just say this was the bucket list and we've ticked it off because we were just both in love with something new. And so we made a pact that we would return and somehow we made it happen. We actually returned the very next year for a shorter amount of time, but that time was spent wholly and solely in the Pyrenees. And for two weeks, we did not do that. We spaced ourselves in one place, did not ride the same climb twice, but just fell in love with it more. Mm -hmm. And We took another two subsequent trips overseas since those two early trips, but started inviting friends along. So in 2016, there was a group of eight of us, and we pretty much hosted them in the Pyrenees and took them on rides that we had discovered. And then two years later, in 2018, that group of eight, I think, expanded to I think 14 or 16 of us. I'm a bit fuzzy in the memory there, but needless to say, quite a large group of friends. And again, for a week, we sort of, my husband and I sort of guided, for lack of a better word, them on these amazing climbs that we had started to grow quite a good bit of knowledge about. And obviously our skill for riding bikes got infinitely better. And it was during the that trip that every single person came back to us and said, Hey, you guys are really good at this. Like, you know the area so well. You're really passionate about it. Have you ever considered doing something like this? And we're like, hmm, okay. And I've said this a few times to people before. When you hear nice things said to you about your friends, you realize that that's why they're your friends because friends sort of have to say nice things about you, yeah. <laughs> like otherwise. And so it's really nice to hear that feedback. But initially you sort of think, oh, yeah, that's really cool. They're on, they're in the holiday mode and, and that's why they're saying that. But mm-hmm. it did coincide with a time in life where perhaps myself and my husband weren't necessarily that enthralled with our corporate careers. You know, we were both consulting in, you know, amazingly high-paid jobs. My husband was a finance director. I was a consultant in the HR space for health and safety, employee well-being, injury management and the like in the defence industry. And it wasn't the sort of role where I felt I was living my life seven days a week. It was the sort of role where I felt I was wishing my life away five days a week so that I could live on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And I guess hearing about something and the thought of maybe we could transition to doing something that we enjoy more. Notwithstanding it's hard to do what we're doing now anyway and there's a lot of hard work involved it's not it's not just sitting on my bike and going to rides in amazing places yeah but maybe there's an opportunity to actually live 7 days a week or you know enjoy 7 days a week as opposed to you know wishing 5 days of my life away to live for 2 days and I guess that's where the thought struck we spent some time figuring out how would we make this work what would we do what would the business look like? And we took a year and a half from coming back from that trip to, I guess, having sold our house, having made business plans, having saved up much more money and taking that flight over and changing our lives dramatically.
1: When COVID happened, what did you do kind of in that period to, I guess, work towards the business? Cause you're not in, you're not in France at this time. You don't have Mm -hmm. jobs, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so no, what, that period. No, and that was a that
0: was a really hard and complex period of time because I don't know what lockdowns were like for you, but in Ireland it was actually some of the strictest lockdowns in all of Europe and I spent I think we were in Ireland all up 18 months and mm-hmm. I think if I've tallied it up now 13 and a half maybe even 14 of those months were in quite restrictive lockdowns. There was lockdown one and lockdown two lockdown one. We couldn't leave our home for two kilometers for a number of months. And then that was extended to not leave our home for, with a radius of five kilometers for a number of months. All the pubs in Ireland were closed for the majority of our time in Ireland. Mm. Um, You know, lockdown came in two days before St Patrick's day. And that was, that was over. There were no street parties. There were no celebrations. In fact, even to the degree where for that first lockdown for a number of weeks, restaurants and cafes were actually all closed. They weren't even doing takeaways. So it was like pretty much leave your house for your daily exercise, do your shopping, but actually if you can get your shopping online, get that delivered to you, don't go outside. And so we had just arrived in Ireland with the view that we would actually do some consulting work in Ireland in our old jobs while we to do a house search in France. But that was out of the question with lockdown one. We got to a stage where we maybe considered about should we be on this side of the world with everything happening, but then as some of your listeners may be aware, Australia closed their borders even to Australian citizens. So it was impossible for us to return home. And then even when Australian borders opened up to citizens, there was literally over 40,000 Australian citizens on a wait list to come back into Australia. And flights in Australia were so dramatically reduced, you could board a big long haul flight in Australia that had maximum of 15 people on board at a time. So It would have taken months for us to get back home, even if we wanted to, notwithstanding the cost of a ticket would have been an absolute astronomic fortune. So that was out of out of the cards. And so we found that we were stuck in Ireland, not able to get to France because of lockdown restrictions and without a job and needing to start a business, which FYI was going to be travel based. (laughs) which was not going to be able to be started. But what we did then, and our business is an online business. It's called Seek Travel Ride. We run a website which helps people plan their holidays in France and we are travel advisors. So there's a lot of free information on our website that people can look at to plan their own cycling holidays. But when they want to go into more details and plan their actual trips, they can come to us for a bespoke travel advisory service, which for a fee we then provide. And so what we did, paying people that, have never run an online business before is we taught ourselves and learnt a new skill and that's that's a skill of website building it's a skill of travel writing it's a skill of you know google search engine optimization and all these other things that you don't realize exist it's a skill of Mm self-marketing and we skilled ourselves in a new job building a site so that when we moved to France and things were able to happen, it was there ready to go and filled with information. And we could sort of, I guess, to say, in a weird way, hit the ground running, mm-hmm. even though travel still wasn't really up and running at that stage as well. So that's what we did. We we kept forward focus. There were times where, I guess, If I could click my fingers, it would not have been a word of a lie. I would have clicked my fingers to be back in Australia, back with friends, back with family, living a life that wasn't locked down because for the majority of our lockdown in Ireland, Australia wasn't locked down. Um, But I'm really thankful that we have, I guess, stuck it through and kept that forward momentum and that focus on our business maintained so that we put all our efforts into learning these skills, building a website, building a platform that now exists and is our business now.
1: Yeah. Well, and I guess if you could snap your fingers, it's always interesting because like you could have snapped your fingers and went back, but then maybe this business just wouldn't have existed. Maybe you would have changed your mind completely. So it's always, you know, grass is always greener on the other side. It's such a hard thing when you're making those passion driven decisions to be like, Oh God, is this the right thing? Because it's not comfortable. And that's, that's the the piece there is you're leaving that comfort. And I guess I'm wondering, you left your family in Australia. And so, I mean, even now, do you ever get super homesick and feel like I, I need to go home? Or like, how do you balance those relationships now that you're in a completely different time zone?
0: Oh, it's, i I find what I miss has been really interesting. So we've literally last week flew back into France and it was our first trip back home to Australia since we left. So it was about three, you know, three and a bit years ago. And that trip came out of the blue. That trip didn't exist a month and a half ago. And there was a family emergency that we needed to fly back for. and. I must say that was the exact scenario I was dreading could happen during COVID times because if there was a family emergency during COVID, we wouldn't have been able to get back into the country. So thankfully that didn't happen then. We got back. Everything is okay with our family, so that's fine. But I thought it was going to be really interesting to see what it was like being back at home. And the biggest thing... It was amazing seeing family and friends. That was like the biggest silver lining. And I don't think I've hugged my friends more in my life, if that makes <laughs> sense. I don't think they've hugged me more in my life. And there's moments where I feel, and it was really clear that I could so easily turn the keys in my French home, go back to Australia and slip on that coat of my old life. I could go back into a, a very similar role in my old position We still have our apartment in Australia. I could, you know, when the lease is over on our tenant, could move right back in, slot straight back into my friendships, back into my social routines and have that old life. And the same for my husband as well. And what was even clearer was nothing had really changed about that life back at home. There's new buildings and places and developments. Our friends are exactly the same, which is great. And those friendship bonds maybe have possibly grown a bit stronger due to separation and our family's getting a bit older but day-to-day life is exactly the same and it really struck me and I was quite confused about it because it felt like no one had changed but I had changed
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I feel like that's because of what I've potentially endured that was vastly different to what it was like back at home as well um and We were sat at a table at a dinner with friends having a catch-up that, you know, all of us as a group hadn't had for over three years and it was actually one of my friends said to me, have you found that you've come back and nothing's changed? And I said, yes. And he goes, that's a sign that you've done the right thing. And I go, really? And he goes, and I sort of had this light bulb aha moment when they were explaining that your life here can always be here for you. Your friends are always here for you. But this dream that you need to follow... Won't always be here for you if you if you shut the door now. And you know you've done the right thing if nothing's changed, but you're having experiences which are different, so keep doing that and be be adventurous and be bold and keep following it. And there's times now when I reflect back on that and think that's a conversation I really needed to hear. And it was funny, coming back on the flight, I can never sleep on flights and the flight, you really realise how far Australia is when you do a long-haul flight. It's horrendous. Like the first flight that leaves from Sydney to get back to the, you know, Europe is a short flight. It's only like eight hours or so, but the next flight, the pilot gets on as you're taxiing to the runway in Singapore and says, you know, we've got a long taxi to the runway uh, in about 20 minutes but uh, strap in, good flying conditions, and our total flight time is 13 hours and 40 minutes. (laughs) You're like, oh, my gosh, please. (laughs) like It's a long, long flight. And I can't sleep on that flight. And funnily enough, I wasn't into the entertainment system. I didn't want to watch a movie. I didn't want to read a book. I listened to a bit of music, French music, because I'm trying to learn French. Mm -hmm. And I just constantly had these thoughts about, Potential parallel, you you know, butterfly effects, sliding doors. Mm-hmm. I could slide back to that life. Do I want the struggle of day-to- day of what we're doing here in France? Because we are really establishing our business. It's up and running now because travel's sort of back, but it's still in its infancy. You know, I can't go and just pick the phone up without doing a lot of thinking in my head about what I want to say on the phone and stuff like that. I could slip back into my old life with ease. Do I want this struggle? And I remember then getting back and actually having a text with one of my best friends in Australia, sort of saying, you know, sometimes I wonder, is this the right decision? Have I made the right decision? And they again, with their wisdom, and they they're a friend, but also a mentor to me, also said, Your friends are here, your life's here, your skill set's still there, it's still going to be there in 12 years, in five years, in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Pe- keep doing what you're doing because you can always come back to this. And I guess that's been the resounding advice and information that I've needed to hear to keep me on this path. It's Mm -hmm. been super, super interesting. And I guess in terms of maintaining relationships, I don't necessarily miss Australia. I miss people. And when I say don't miss Australia, I love Australian landscape, you know, I love the beaches. I love the outdoor space and stuff like that. But I absolutely love France and I love French culture and I love the French mountains and I love the French way of life here in the Pyrenees as well. If I could magic a way to have all of my Australian friends over here as well, I'd do that in a heartbeat, but it's just adjusting to living on the other side of the world. You know, you, you have weekly calls with your, with your parents, you know, and, I feel in some way we're more in touch with them here than we were back at home Mm -hmm. (laughs) that makes sense and the same with our friends as well you know
1: so yeah well I guess it's just a matter of like choosing your heart like life is kind of going to be difficult no matter which route you choose but it's like which which heart is a more fulfilling heart the heart of yeah, drowning out your life for five days a week. But then there's the heart of like, but I'm actually passionate about this and and I want it to work. And what what reminded me of when you said that is I spent last summer in Switzerland working at a hostel. And those three months, like I, I got home back to the States and I laid in my bed and I was just like, hmm, was that a fever dream? Did, did any of that did any of that happen I, I don't know um but like you're saying i mean i think i've experienced that as well is like no matter how many times i leave i come back and everything is the same like my job was there for me my friends mm. my family i could literally go back into the exact same life i was living and i that's just such a weird experience like i really still don't know how to feel about that yeah i'm the same and
0: like i said the biggest thing for me which i still I don't know that I would say struggle with is I feel I have changed. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting and I think I think that's forced solitude. I'm an extrovert, so for 18 months I couldn't be the normal extrovert that I was. Mm-hmm. I went into a pretty dark space in Ireland because of that. Then when we finally moved to France, you know, we moved to France on our bikes. We took the ferry from Dublin, landed at Cherbourg in Normandy, right at the very tip of Northern France and cycled all the way down South to the Pyrenees. And that was a magical time of amazing freedom. It felt like freedom. You know, I was on my bike, you know, I was just like that little kid that had learned how to ride and escape from the nature strip and and, and go further than I could have gone. And, you know, having lived in restrictive lockdowns where FYI, we were living right on the Irish Sea. So our even our five kilometre radius, half of that was the water of the Irish Sea. So we couldn't even have our full circle to enjoy it from exercise point of view. But when we finally came down to the Pyrenees, because I had had that headspace, I um, I decided I needed a goal and a challenge. And I got involved and signed up for a event it was called the Normandy Cat 900, which is an ultra-distance cycling event. And uh, if you have listeners who don't know what that is, it's where people get on bikes and do stupid, crazy distances in crazy small amounts of time with no sleep and 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 ridiculousness. And it was something I had watched as a passionate fan and supporter. And I guess you you watch people on Instagram and social media and the like, and you know you follow people, so you see your echo chamber coming back to you, and it normalizes things, but. I decided I needed something as a goal to push myself on. And I signed up for this event and had six months worth of training, which meant to do something of this nature takes a significant amount of your time to train. And when I say that, I mean, 20 hour training weeks on the bike, at least minimum for five and a half months of that. I did some crazy distances that I look back on last year and think, how did I do that? But the reason I bring that up and why I think it's relevant to how I feel about my recent experience in Australia is I spent so much of that time riding my bike solo and alone. In Australia, I would do some of my riding on my own, but most of it was social. And riding is a social thing in Australia. You ride with your friends, you go somewhere amazing, you stop sometimes halfway at a bakery, you have, you know, some sort of coffee and cake, you finish, you might end with coffee and cake. It's an ex- You know, you're riding your bike, but you're there as a social thing. And my writing flipped here in France to me all of a sudden riding on my own, having spent the majority of my time living overseas only with my husband and writing and being on my own. And I feel that's had such a distinct impact in shaping what my personality is like now. And that's been interesting to reflect back on and, and something that is quite unexpected. I think I reflect on moments more differently, I reflect on situations probably more differently. I value my friendships that I have immensely and think of my friends fondly so much. But it's been interesting to see just how much I've changed.
1: Mhm. So you I think you said it took you 66 hours to finish this this race. Yeah. I actually, yeah, I looked, I looked into this because I don't know. I don't know a lot about cycling. I don't know a lot about, I'm training for a marathon right now. Um, oh, that's most, amazing too. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I love, I ah. love running. I do, but I, the only, the most biking I've really done is within little triathlons that I like to do, but I never train for the biking. I, I don't know what it is, but I, I just because like, I'm like, oh, well, the bike will take me, you know, but it's hard. It is hard. Um, But I find something about cycle touring. I have a friend right now that's like starting to get into it. And the more I hear about it, the more I'm just like, this is so cool. This is great because it's not hiking. So it doesn't take me as long, but it's not driving. And I hate driving cars. As an American, I, I suffer on a daily basis because I'm like, I have to take my car literally everywhere Mm. and so this idea of like getting into biking sounds so appealing I don't know much about it so like what what is the process of training for this or like when you go when you have these people that are wanting to come and do cycle tours like do you have people that are very beginner that are you know like I've never done a cycle trip before and like how do you kind of prepare Uh, someone
0: yeah definitely and I guess there's two different sides. so Cycle touring, I think is the perfect slow travel. Like you said, I mean, hiking is amazing. And I love hiking because you see so much more because you're going through a landscape so much slower, but it's not fast. So if you've got a week's holiday and you're hiking, you're seeing a really small space in that week time. Cycle touring, your distances expand to your fitness level and your terrain to some degree. But most people, you know, if you and for a holiday purpose, you can be spending, you know, five hours of riding a day covering whatever distance your fitness can allow you to cover. But the environment, you're watching that landscape change as you pedal, you're still hearing everything around you, you're smelling, you're visually seeing the landscape and the architecture and the things change as well. So you get this amazing immersive sensory experience on the bike and the cycle touring we've done, we've done, you know, uh, a lot of it recently has been camping as well. So we are fully outdoors a lot of the time and that has been an amazing thing. And it it is open to all fitness levels. And I think that's the great thing about it is that you don't need to have done this pre-certification cycling course to all of a sudden qualify you to be able to do a cycle tour. It just might impact on potentially how much discomfort it might be for the first few days or potentially just what distances you want to cover. But there's no rule book that says you have to be on your bike for five hours. You could cycle tour and, and you know ride a mo- an hour in the morning, stop for lunch, ride an hour in the afternoon and get to a different spot if that's what you wanted to do. And that could be a great beginner step for you. I always say if people want to dabble in cycle touring, pick a weekend, pick somewhere that's different from what you know and and find a way to cycle there, stay overnight and cycle back. And that gives you a great feeling for what you can expect, which is great. The difference between cycle touring and ultra distance cycling is it's, it's like, it's like ultra cycling. It's like cycle touring, but like on fast forward and truly immersive because your senses, because, um, so I guess to help with your listeners, the event I did, it was called Normandy Cat 900. I didn't realise when I signed up that the event actually had a official finishing time limit. So to be deemed an official finisher, I had to finish this, this distance and this ride within 73 hours. And the distance of the ride... Normandy Cat 900 gives you a clue because 900 kilometres is the general distance that you'll have to do. And I say general because there's another element to the event that I did in that it, it, it involved connecting eight checkpoints that were dotted around the department of Normandy in northern France. And, and a few that sort of went into neighbouring departments as well. It was fully self-supported. You had to map your own route, decide which way you're going to connect the checkpoints, decide which way you're going to do the whole thing. No outside assistance is allowed whatsoever. If your bike breaks, you have to fix it. You have to get your own food. You can't have someone meet you somewhere and give you anything. Like wholly and solely responsible for yourself. And in order to do a distance that much, like my route was 900 and... I think when I mapped it, it was 904 kilometres, which I thought was pretty good. But I, um, during my tiredness, took a couple of wrong turns. So by the time I got to the finish, I think I was around 913, 914 kilometres. In order to do that in seventy, within 73 hours, it's not that you have to travel at high speeds, But you have to spend so much of every single day on your bike cycling. And when I say it doesn't mean high speeds, it's because generally people who do really well in ultra events, they do really well because they learn how to eat food on the move. So you might stop and resupply, but you're not generally stopping and resupplying and having an hour for lunch. You're stopping, I would say during my event, I would have stopped on average for resupply, maybe for half an hour. to to sit down for foods during those two and a bit days. But most of my food was eaten on the bike. You've got to navigate. You've got to be aware of things. You've got to be aware of where you're going to sleep. How long are you sleeping for? Eight hours is a luxury that you do not have if you're an ultra cyclist. The event I did started at 10 o'clock at night. FYI, I did not know it was going to start at freaking 10 o'clock at night when I signed up. I didn't know there was a time limit and I didn't know it was a nighttime departure. Mm -hmm. And I was freaked out about that because that involves riding through a night and in the dark. And my experience of riding at nighttime was back in Australia meeting a really dear friend of mine early in the mornings. We would ride and maybe the first 45 minutes to an hour would be in the dark But I was in city lights, lit up streets with our own lights for that factor. I wasn't in the middle of the French countryside in places I didn't know. And I didn't have to do that for eight full hours. But um, I did it. (laughs) Um, I rode the very first day. I rode throughout the night, did not stop. By the time I eventually stopped late the next evening, I had ridden 385 kilometres, which was crazy. and. And yeah, the next day got progressively harder because of that. (laughs) Um, But I had to back that up again and had to see whether I had gained the fitness through my six months of training to be able to do that. And everything takes so much more thinking and so much more effort. And it's cliche. And this will be something that you'll know with your training, with your marathon. And I know it's different distances, but you get to a stage where something will be hurting physically. If your head's okay, you'll be able to keep going. If something's hurting physically and your mind's not in it and your mind wants to stop, that's you done. So it's all about the head. The day before, hours before the event, I had a problem on my bike. And this is like, I'm about to set off on this ridiculous escapade and my bike's broken. Like, what am I going to do now? Thankfully, this is before the event. So I could go to a bike store, went and they tried to fix my setup. They they gave me a little bit of a hack, which would get me through, but it was skeptical whether it would hold for the entire event. Thankfully, it did. But the best bit of service that I got from that bike shop visit was the mechanic telling me a French saying, which is, "commencer avec les jambes, finir avec la tête," And that means you'll start with the legs, but you're going to finish with the head. And I thought of that so many times during this event because it was true. My head had to be screwed on to get to that finish line. I had a few wobbles. But thankfully, I got there. Um, and yeah, 66 hours and 12 minutes, I think is my official finishing time, which was crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that takes some serious mental strength. Because once you get to a certain point, physically, it's like it—it it is a mental, a mental game after that. So you have all these little setbacks, you have these moments of like, what am I going to do? I mean, you don't seem like someone that's just going to give up super easily. How do you kind of navigate those difficult situations Mm -hmm. and be like like no matter what this is gonna it's just gonna happen no matter how it happens
0: I think there's times where you don't realize you're navigating it if that Mm -hmm. makes sense I think there's times where it's well this is the situation and I just have no choice I've just got to get through it you know lockdown in Ireland that really sucked did I want to navigate that no did I have a choice no and you just have to You just have to do, you have to get up every day. You have to make a plan for what's going to move you forward. You have to have a goal and have that focus towards it. And it has to be something that you believe in. I couldn't still be on this side of the world if I didn't believe in the dream of being on this side of the world. And if I wasn't passionate about why I'm here, I couldn't do what I'm doing now in order to be in a job like I was back in Australia. that that just would not happen. I'm passionate about what I do now. I love cycling. I love being able to give people those experiences that I have and it comes out in that enthusiasm and that's what allows me to get through. I I think there's times where you have no choice but to get through stuff. You have to. You are in the situation, you have no option and you've just got to grin and get through it. But when you do have a choice, I think what's going to get you through is the over, overwhelming feeling that you're passionate about what your goal at the end of this finish line is going to be. And I don't mean a finish line in terms of an event, but I mean, you know, in terms of the living and a house life here, for example, in terms of a future here in France for me personally. I couldn't be here if I was doing my old job, for example. I need to be passionate about what's brought me here, and I need to be a hundred percent positively on board. With my why and my purpose for being here as well. Just saying that makes me a little bit icky because it reminds me of facilitating human resource employee well-being sessions and telling people this in my old role. And I've used buzzwords, which I don't. I hope it's not having too, too much into your listeners, but it's it's a hundred percent true. You need to be passionate behind your goals. I I needed to have that belief in me of why I need to be resilient is because of this and knowing that it's going to struggle but it's going to, I I can get it out of the other side and I can be a stronger person for it and I will be proud of what I've achieved and I will be thankful for it in 10 years' time looking in the rearview mirror because I did it. Mm -hmm. I guess when I have the option of returning back, I wouldn't want to take that option wondering what if. I want to leave my all my what if cards and burn all my matches out here before I ever take my get out of jail card, if that makes sense.
1: It definitely does. How do you feel about when people say you need to pick like this one thing? Because here you are training for this ultra cycling, but then you're also trying to build a business and you're also renovating your house and you have all these things. So how do you kind of balance that in your day-to-day life? And how do you kind of move each needle forward when you know that like, like, obviously, I think your business is probably at the forefront of what you're trying to do. So do you believe that, you, that there can be balance and that you can achieve multiple things at once? I think
0: you need to have balance in order to achieve things. Okay. If if you're at balance, nothing can get achieved. And what I mean by that is there are times where you have to put so much effort and focus solely on one thing. But you've in life we always have to juggle balls and spin plates it's it's an always thing because there's always going to be scenarios that didn't exist you know last week that exist now that are going to and you i guess in a way you have to shift and um and pivot if it's anything my ultra distance cycling experience has probably helped me become a bit more resilient because you have to be good at problem solving to get through those events especially when it's a self-supported event you can't take outside assistance you are your own problem solver and you yourself are the person with the skills that's going to get you from a to b to the finish line and i guess enduring and going through that made me realize what i can put up with and what i can do and what i am capable of physically yeah and mind you I don't quite have the fitness that I did this time last year, but I know that I could get that back. If I was dedicated enough for that type of goal, I could do that. But mentally going through that experience can only change you for the better in realizing what you're capable of. And I guess mentioning earlier all that time spent on my own training, it took a while in the early months to enjoy that experience But after I realized how important it was for me and now that's something that still occurs and whether it's I need to make sure that the way that I schedule my day is hours spent on the business, on on the website, in calls with clients, doing things, preparing for the cycling season. But I always have to allow myself that time for myself, which is so important which allows me to go on my bike and escape for two hours or go on a hike for two hours or be in my garden, which I love for two hours, or take my camera with me and actually, you know, be the passionate photographer that I am for a few hours. And that's, I guess, to use a cliche, that's the equivalent of applying fertilizer on a plant. But for me, that's the way that I continue to be able to do things and to multitask. Spreading yourself too thin isn't good and trying to do too many things, one on top of the other, you're going to drop a plate and you have to be prepared for that. But I think provided you know what energizes you and prioritizing, making sure that you give yourself that energy, whether it's daily or weekly or every few days, whatever it is, that's the most important thing in being able to continue to endure and to be able to to do these things that you do. Whether it's, you know, forging ahead on a new corporate career, if that's what you love doing, that's, you need to find that energy for yourself somehow and find out what, what gives you that internal fertilizer for for lack of a better analogy. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. No, I, I love that. That's, that's great. Cause I, you know, I just refuse to believe that I can't sleep seven hours a night in order to accomplish my dreams it's just really a nice thing to hear it when when other people kind of agree with that
0: it's interesting actually because so part of what I do I have started a podcast called Seek Travel Ride as well and in that I share the stories and experiences of people who have undertaken amazing adventures on a bike so there's two things there one I'm passionate about that space so as a host it's it's not a job for me to interview people about this yeah. because I love hearing their stories. It's like, that's part of my own little fertilizer now, for lack of a better word. I need to yeah. move away from the fertilizer theme. I think no, that's I sort of an, in- I think it's an insight into the fact that I love my garden. But Anyway, <laughs> um, but part of that show is I've met some amazing guests who've done incredible things And I've been able to get an insight into what's make them do things. And one of my guests is a neuroscientist, uh, Dr. Florence Cattell. And I, when I got back to Australia, was fortunate enough to spend some time with her face to face. So this was like the biggest silver lining gift to plug into her neuroscience mentality of positivity and mindset more than anything else and just how powerful having the right mindset is. And Florence currently is working on research about people who have experienced burnout and in a corporate sense, it's termed "quiet quitting. And her research is fascinating, but the reason that she's doing it is because she herself has experienced this and she loves her job. She loves studying and she experienced it when she was full-time at university doing many, many hours on a side job, also volunteering, um, you know, for 15 hours a week on top of her job, on top of her university, on top of all the extra research and study she was doing as well. And initially, Florence told herself, well, something's got to give. And what gave for Florence was sleep. And she just didn't let herself sleep for, you know, she'd go a few days and not sleep. She'd sleep on very little hours. But the interesting thing and why this is relevant is, as she said, she's realized as a neuroscientist, that's not healthy. And it's not healthy for you as a human. And you need to actually, there's a reason why we need sleep in our lives. And you get the best out of yourself when you do sleep. So totally allow yourself seven hours of sleep a day is what I'm getting at because you need that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like Yeah. Um,
0: and everyone, oh, you remember when I was talking about those long-haul flights, mm-hmm. I don't sleep on planes. Oh, there's not enough coffee in the world that allows my body to reset over that fatigue. It takes days to finally get back into the right circadian rhythm and mix for it. So, you know, I think, you know, sleep is everyone's fertilizer, just to come back to that lovely term. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, I I love the garden terminology. I think that's great. I think everyone should have a garden to be honest. It's just such a intimate experience growing your own food and then eating it. So
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. And we're in spring here in France as you would be in the US and it's like, you know, when everything all of a sudden stops being brown and things are flowering and things are green and bursting forth and birds have returned and you know, days are getting longer. It's a bright time. Sorry to all my Australian friends because you're at the other end of that cycle, but right. we've gone through winter. <laughs> and we, we, I'm embracing it.
1: Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm so ready for summer. I cannot wait. Do you have anything exciting coming up that you would like to share? And then anything else you want to just say about your business, where we can find you?
0: Yeah. So I guess... My business is, called, uh, you know, our business, this is me and my husband, it's called Seek Travel Ride and you can find us. It's online at seektravelride.com. And as I said, if if you're someone who has thought about taking an active holiday and a cycling holiday in France and have wondered about how to do that, go to the website, take advantage of all the free information there. And if you want to speak with, I guess, the experts, the people who live here and cycle here and know this country really well, then reach out to us and we can help you help plan your trip. I guess things that are coming up for me that I'm excited about, uh, you know, it's summer season, it's cycling season. So showing people around and, and actually having guests here in the Pyrenees to show around and, and take on these cycling adventures is something that I'm really enthusiastic for. And if it's that something that you want to do, definitely get in touch Uh, You'll have an English-speaking guide who is really passionate at telling you about the local sites and stuff that you'll see that you'd otherwise go, wow, that's nice. But if you want some more detail behind it, that's what I'm here for. Uh, But also I'm really passionate about my podcast. And if you want to hear about people adventuring in a different way, then I encourage you to to tune in. It's called Seek Travel Ride. It's on all your favourite podcast playing apps. If you just put it in there, it'll come up. And whilst there is is an over-resounding cycling theme, all my guests have a story of where they went to on their bike and it's different things. Some of them are ultra cyclists, some of them are cycle tourers, some of them are breaking world records. But whilst the bike is the common element, I can tell you overwhelmingly from my listeners and myself what makes these stories worth listening to is the human interest stuff behind it it's the people's why why did they do something what brought them here that is just amazing and fascinating and was something unexpected to me i didn't even realize it myself until i started it i've had some incredible guests do some incredible things you know i've had someone who was you know 40 years as a painter like an artist painting intricate paintings all of a sudden, overnight, their life changed for them because they suffered a stroke and they lost the vision in, in one of their eyes, which meant they all of a sudden couldn't paint anymore. And all of a sudden, they want to maximize the remaining amount of vision by traveling on a bike slowly enough through the world to see everything out there. You know, these are the sort of stories that I just love hearing about.
1: so much for tuning in to another episode of the blue rose podcast if you guys are loving these episodes please don't forget to subscribe on apple music and spotify you can also find me on instagram and youtube at becca blue rose where episodes are also released with video individual episodes with just me are released every tuesday morning episodes with guests are released every thursday morning i am sending you guys good vibes and we'll chat soon